We see here that in 1 Corinthians, we are learning what Paul is explaining to the church in Corinth. And he's going to redefine love. He's going to redefine what love means. I've titled today's message, Why Love Matters. And if you like taking notes, I'd encourage you to write that down. Why Love Matters. You see, in the previous chapters, Paul has been talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how God has given us each different gifts for the benefit or for the profit of all of us. And God has given you a specific gift, maybe the gift of helps, maybe uh, the gift of teaching, whatever it would be, right? God has ministered to the church through the gifts individually of one another, right? And as He's given us these gifts, He wants us to use them to glorify Him, but also so that we corporately can become edified. But now, as He's telling the church of Corinth, now as He's explaining to the church of Corinth the different gifts, He's telling them in verse 31 of chapter now 12, I now explain to you, or let me show you a more excellent way. And today we're going to talk about an excellent way. Because it doesn't necessarily matter if you're using your gifts, but it also matters about how you're using your spiritual gifts. You see, there's a way in how God wants you to use those spiritual gifts. There's a way in how He wants you to exercise those gifts. There's a way on how He wants you to now possess those gifts. You know what the Lord does is... He wants you to, number one, possess His heart and His passion for His people so that when you use now the gifts of the Spirit, they're used the right way and they can edify and they can be a blessing to people. Right? In the first 31 of, of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, it says, For you should earnestly desire the most helpful here gifts, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Let me show you a way of life that is best of all. What is the best way of life that we're going to see here in chapter 13? You see, we know that if you've studied the Bible before, or if you grew up in church, or if you studied 1 Corinthians, you know that 1 Corinthians 13 is called the love chapter in the Bible. Because it redefines what love actually means. And now he's going to tell us that, that without love, your gifts, whatever you do, your service, your life can be empty. You can be doing the greatest things for God. You can be doing the most impressive things, most visible things. But if you do not have love, your gifts or your life is empty. And that's the attitude here. That's the characteristic that he wants us to know. The characteristic and the attitude of what love is. And if we're going to define what love is, we also must define what love is not. <laughs> because love is needed. Love is needed in our life. Love is needed to use our gifts. Love is needed to be a blessing to people. If we look in our world, we need love. Because love unites, right? Because it's the love of God that draws us to repentance. It's all about the love of God. It's the love of Christ. But in order to know what love is, we also have to know what love isn't, right? Or, or, or what love is, it's in centralized completely in God and in the Son, Jesus. And understand this, gifts do not change people's lives. 
Your gifts do not change people's lives. They do not change people's lives. Love changes people's lives. It is love that is effective. It is love that ministers to people. It's not the gifts that minister necessarily. It's the love that is packed in those gifts that ministers and makes every gift effective. You think about it, you come to church and you want to serve or at home you're serving people or you're doing so much for them. However, if it, it's not packed with love, it is not done with the motivation of love, it will not minister to anyone. And he tells them now in verse 31, everyone wants to be known. Everyone wants to be seen. Everyone wants to be heard at church. Why is it that everyone wants the gift of prophecy? Everyone wants the gift of tongues. Everyone wants to be visible. Everybody wants to be loud. Everyone wants to be here. I am, right? But without love, it doesn't really matter. Why? Because the foundational principle in ministry, the foundational principle in all ministry, in what you do in serving people, whether it's in church or it's out of church, the foundational principle, it's that it should be motivated by love. You know who served by love? Jesus did. In fact, it said that He loved His disciples to the very end. And then He knelt down and started to wash their feet. You see, you know the reason why Jesus was able to wash the feet of the disciples? It wasn't because He knew and He was an expert in foot washing. <laughs> It wasn't because he knew where the water basin and the towels were at. And the disciples didn't know necessarily where those instruments were. So they, they, they couldn't fulfill the requirement of washing the feet of one another. No, it's because Jesus loved them. But not did he only love them. It says that he loved them till the very end. Now I want to ask you, do you love people to the very end? Do you love them till the very end? Because when you love people to the very end, it motivates you to serve them at any capacity. And then no longer is it about your gift, but it's about the service. It's about the ministry. It's about ministering to the needs of people. Because it's motivated by love. You see, I've seen people with the greatest now gifts, but with no love, and it's not effective. It doesn't minister to anyone. It doesn't do anything to anyone because there is no love. You see, in love, now it's the greatest evidence or love is the greatest proof that you are a believer because you have love. You can't say I'm a Christian, but I just have a problem with loving people. Well, yeah, maybe we struggle, but we have to ask God, Lord, change my heart to love because that is the best proof that is the greatest evidence that I am born again and I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit because I love people. What does the Bible tell us? That the fruit of the Spirit is love. And everything else, the, the, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, and the self-control, it's a byproduct of love. So people ought to know us by love. That is the proof that we are born again, that we are now filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is love. So if you're saying, I want to live a spiritual life, then you have to live a life that is filled with love. That is the true spiritual credentials. You want to make sure that you are walking with the Lord, that you are growing spiritually. That is all measured by love as well. 
The fruit of the Spirit is love. You know what I think the danger is? Is sometimes we overemphasize on a spiritual gift at the expense of love. We cannot do that. We cannot overemphasize on a spiritual gift at the expense of love. All this spiritual gift is so amazing. It sounds so good. It can be so needed. It can fill a place. It can fill a spot, right? At the expense of love. Or, you know what? It's not filled with love, so we're just going to throw it in there, even though it doesn't have love, just to meet a need. No, you can't do that. It's not going to meet the need. It's going to take up space. You see, the central thing is not the exercise of the spiritual gift. That's not the central thing. The central thing, it's the exercise of and the experience of the love of God. When you think about what your life is filled with, it should not be filled with you exercising a gift. It should fill, be filled with you exercising love. The gift is just the vehicle to take the love where it needs to go. And we're going to learn through chapter 13 that love is mostly demonstrated, not in pride. It's demonstrated always in humility, love. You can't be bragging over here that you love someone or be upset with someone in your pride and say, well, I love you, that's why I'm so mad at you. <laughs> no, love is demonstrated in humility. And I pray that in these next two weeks as we study chapter 13, that you would ask the question, you would make the prayer, Lord, if I am not a loving person, then soften my heart, restore me and renew me. Because I want to be more like Jesus. I want to have that attitude of loving people. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 10, 24, that we have a responsibility. It says, let us consider one another. Let us think about one another. Think about one another in order to stir up love and then good works. You know, sometimes what we want to do, we want to stir up good works. We want to stir up gifts. We want to stir up some emotions. No, it says, stir up love to one another. And then out of that love, good works are going to be born. Let us consider one another to love and good works. Who is the best example of love? Jesus is. He is the manifestation of love. Jesus is love. When God wanted to demonstrate His love towards us, what does the Bible say? For God so loved, He gave us Jesus. He gave. God so loved that He gave His only Son, and He redefined what love meant through the Son Christ. And then what did Jesus say in John 13, 34? A new commandment I give you. I want to give you a new commandment, disciples, he tells them in the New Testament. I want you to become New Testament disciples. I want you to become New Testament believers. And you know what this new commandment is? That you love one another. <laughs> the New Testament commandment is not that, that you would go out and do extravagant things for people to look at and admire you. No, the new commandment is that you would love one another. How? Not as your mom loves you. <laughs> Not as your dad loves you, not as that favorite person, your best friend loves you. It says that you would love one another as I have loved you. Imagine you ask yourself the question, if God loved me the way that I love my brother, what kind of love would I feel from God? If God offered you the love that you offered people, do you think you would feel the love of God? No, he's saying here, I want you to love one another the way I loved you. And it says here, now, by this all will know that you are my disciples. This is the thing that's going to give it away. That you're a Christian. 
This is the thing that at work and at home and in your neighborhood and with your friends, it's going to give it away that you are a follower of Jesus because you love one another. Have you ever met someone and you know just right after a conversation with a person, an individual, that they are believers? And the reason that you find out is because of how loving they are to the people that they know and how loving they are to you, the hospitality, the reception, the open heart that they give you, the smile, the joy, right? All the love that's coming out of their lives. And they have to be a believer. <laughs> By this, all will know that you are my disciples. You see, we ought to have a reputation of being the most loving people, Jesus said. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. Because of the love that you have for one another. 1 John 4.19, what does it tell us now? We love Him, why? Because He first loved us. You see, it's not so you know the love of God that you are able to offer the love of God to other people. And today we're going to discover what the love of God is. We're not going to discover so much about gifts. We're going to discover what the love of God is so that we can absorb that glow of the love of God and we can actually walk out with the love of God just resounding and resonating from our lives so that other people can know Him because of the love. Think about how many people would have come to know Jesus Christ already. Came to know the love of God if, if you showed them the love of God. If they experienced the love of God, that they started, their hearts started to soften, right? And it's interesting here because we're going to read here, not about any type of love, but about the agape love. That's what the entire chapter 13 is about, about agape love. Agape is the word that it uses here in the Greek. And it means a sacrificial giving of love. It means a love that agonizes, agape. If we've heard the word agape, we know that it means unconditional it means unconditional love, love without any limits. That's the love that it speaks about in chapter 13. But I want you to know something when it comes to love, that it talks about this love as an act of the will. Love is a choice. You know, I, I heard the question that was presented this week by somebody, whether love was a choice or love was an emotion. And it's very interesting because the Bible tells us that love is a choice. It's not an emotion, it's not just a feeling, it's not something that has uh, to do with the circumstances of the object or the person that you love. And when that changes, then your love changes towards them. No, love is a choice. And today you can choose to love. That's when people say, you know what, we fell out of love. We're, we're, we're not in love anymore. You don't fall out of love, I'll tell you this. You choose to stop loving. You don't fall out of love. You choose to stop loving. Loving. You made that conscious decision to not love anymore. But I pray today that we would choose love over anything else. That we would choose to love people. Because that word agape, was it tell, what, what it speaks to us, it, it has a little to do with emotion. It has everything to do with self-denial, with sacrifice for the sake of someone else. That's true agape love. It is without the changing of circumstances or persons or people. It's self-giving love that, is, that it does not demand or expect anything in return. That's agape love. Have you ever demonstrated love to someone? And all day you're demonstrating love to someone because you're about to ask them a question and you want them to say yes. <laughs> or you're demonstrating love to someone with an interest for them to respond a certain way or reciprocate the love back towards you. 
I think sometimes for us, we demonstrate love wanting to expect or receive it. But love isn't about what you receive. Love is about how much you can give. That's what true sacrificial love is. Now here in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, let's read what it says. As Paul here is talking to the church, and he tells us this, the importance of love. And throughout this chapter, we're going to know, number one, the importance of love, right? We're going to know the character of love, and then we're going to know the maturity of love. So number one, the importance of love. Number two, the character of love. And now the maturity of love. And it says this in verse 1 of chapter 13. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels. Even though I'm speaking with tongues of men and of angels. But I have not love. I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. See, you know what this says here? You know what he's telling us? That the greatest gift, that the greatest blessing that you can offer... Is not that you would speak with tongues of men or even that you would speak with tongues of angels. That is not the greatest gift that you can offer someone. The greatest gift that you can offer someone is love. Because here he compares it to, though I had the gift of tongues where I speak in all these unknown languages and have that gift of the Spirit that I can speak in those unknown languages. And it doesn't only say the tongues of men, but also tongues of angels. Oh, when you, when you think about just the sound of an angel singing or the sound of an angel's voice. What do you imagine? What comes to mind when you think of something angelic, something so sweet, something so beautiful? Though I speak with something so impressive, though I speak with something so public, though, though I speak with something that, that gains a lot of attention, not tongues of only men, but tongues of angels now. You see, but I have not love. I'm just another sound. We went over it last week how noise, sound, that, that gift, it doesn't minister to anyone it does, if it doesn't have love. It says here, I am just like a clanging cymbal. I just sound like a noisy sound. How many times have we tried to serve the Lord with a gift? And although God has given us a beautiful gift, and maybe it's a tongue, or maybe it's sounding this angelic or so beautiful, and having that type of presence in front of people, but if it does not have love, look what it says, it's just like a clanging sound and cymbal. It doesn't matter, it's almost annoying. <laughs> have you ever heard a clanging sound or cymbal? Man, turn that thing down. A clanging sound or cymbal does no effect, it does no blessing, it does no benefit. It edifies nobody. It edifies nobody. And he's saying, if you do not have love, it edifies nobody, no matter the degree of the gift. Now the church, I think in today's day, we're more concerned about the level of the gift than the amount of love. And therefore, we, we are impressed with all the wrong things. We want to impress people with gifts. And you're serving the Lord, maybe at church or wherever it is, and you see a specific person walk in, and guess what you want to do? You want to try something fancy now. You want to serve in your house, you're trying to impress people. Here He's going to teach us, do not try to impress people with your gifts. Stop trying to impress people. It's the love that really ministers to them. 
What I love about verse 1, it says that the power behind our tongue, the power behind your tongue, when it comes with tongues of angels and of men, the power behind your tongue is not found in eloquence. It's not found in your vocabulary, how great you can sound, how smart you can sound, right? It's found, the power of your tongue, it's found in love and it's found in anointing. A lot of times we think that the power in our tongue is found in our eloquence, that the power in our tongue is found in our vocabulary and how we sound and how we present ourselves. But the power of our tongue is not, it's not in, in our eloquence. It's not in our vocabulary. The power of a tongue is not in our presentation. The power in our tongue is found in our love and it's found in our anointing. Why? Because the universal love language is love. The universal language is love. And that's the language that we must possess. It's been said before that oratory speech may command uh, admiration. The oratory speech, it might command admiration. Oh my goodness, have you seen how that person serves or speaks or, or sings or does that specific gift? It might command admiration, but it is love now that can reach the heart. A gift cannot reach the heart without love. And that's what he's trying to tell us. That we ought not to try to impress people with our gifts, but we ought to use our gifts to love people. Our gifts are a way to love people. And though I have the gift of prophecy, this is an, a very impressive gift. Though I have the gift of prophecy, verse 2, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith that I can remove mountains, but if I have not love, I'm nothing. You think about the gift of prophecy, you think about what he's telling the church here. You know why he's telling them this? Because everybody want, wanted to exalt their gifts. Everybody wanted to raise their hand at church. Everybody wanted a gift, a gift of prophecy or of tongues or, or of teaching or of healing or of a miracle. And everybody was interested in, in exhibiting their gifts, but they were doing it with the wrong motive. And here what Paul is saying is that your gift will not minister to anyone if it does not have love. In fact, he says, though you have the gift of prophecy, and you're able to give divine revelation through what God gives you, or understand all the mysteries and the revelation of the Bible, or maybe you have the faith of a mustard seed that the Bible talks about, that you have faith to tell that mountain to move this way, but if you do not have love, guess what you are? I have nothing. I've shared with people in ministry in the past where they've said, you know what, well, I'm a manager at work and I have the experience of management and I have X amount of years and my resume looks great for my secondary and secular job. So that means that at church, I need to be in charge. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Because it's, you're missing the love. That's what ministers to people. You see, your experience, your knowledge, your wisdom, your gift, your understanding... It's not what ministers to people. It's the love that motivates it all. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, what does now Paul tell the church? Knowledge, what does it do, knowledge? It puffs up. We think we have experience. Guess what we also think? We think we're bigger than what we really are. It makes us prideful. Knowledge puffs up. But check out that next time. But love edifies. Your knowledge doesn't edify. Your experience doesn't edify. Your gift doesn't edify. It is love that edifies people. Knowledge puffs up by love edifies. See, though you have the most impressive spiritual gifts, but without love, they have no effect. And are, they're, no, they're of no blessing, in fact. They don't edify. 
You have to ask yourself, do you feel loved by the gifts around you? Do the people around you feel loved because of the gifts that you have? Right? Because in fact, it even tells you maybe you have the faith that can move mountains. But think about how dangerous it can be for someone that has faith to move mountains, but they don't have love. Oh my God, I'd be scared of being around that person. (laughs) Imagine if someone had the faith to move a mountain, but they did not have love. They would move that mountain right in your way. They They would trample you with that mountain because they don't have love. They would put that mountain in the path of somebody else, right in front of them, right in their way. They would make someone stumble with that mountain. Because they have faith, but they have no love. Love gives you the discernment on how to exercise your gifts. Love lets you know that you ought to be sensitive with the gifts you have. Love allows you to remember that it is love that grows people. It is love that grows your children. It is love that grows your spouse. It is love that, that you invest in other people, even in church, brothers and sisters, that will edify them. It is the love. It's not the gift, it's the love. Verse 3, look what it tells us now. For those of us that maybe have a heart and a yearning to do public ministry and go out and help and serve people, and it says, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Well, you would say, you know, I'm a loving person because I give everything to the poor. I give all my food. I go and volunteer to the homeless and I do all these radical gifts and works. And I'm always doing things for people. But you can be doing things for people just for yourself. You can be doing them in a self-serving way. That's not love. You see, serving people has nothing to do with you, has everything to do with them. It has to be self, selfless and self-sacrificial serving in order for it to be called love. I'm sacrificing myself. I'm being selfless. It has nothing to do with me. I just want to serve them. And it says here in verse 3, Though I give all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing though you have the radical gifts and the radical works and you sacrifice your body and even you brag about it and you have the best sacrificial giver I'm the best giver I'm the biggest giver or look what it says even I I give my body to be burned I sacrifice my own body here at this time but if I have not love I profits me nothing the word profit is, is amazing because it talks about worth. It talks about value. It talks about your gift. If I have all these gifts, but I don't have love, it doesn't profit me nothing. What does that mean? It doesn't profit me nothing. It, it, it's worthless. You see, when we think about it like that, it's, it's a little convicting, but it's saying here, if you offer all these impressive gifts, but it doesn't have love, it, it profits nothing. It is worthless. You gain nothing. It is of no blessing. That's why it's important that we say, Lord, I want to love people the way you love. And we want the supreme sacrificial love to be that that motivates us. You see, you, you might be busy. You might have patience. You might have the discernment that, that, that you talked about. You might have toil and endurance. But if you don't have the things that matter the most love, what do you really have? In 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, it says, If someone says, I love God, And hates his brother. Someone says, if we say we love God, but we hate our brother, it says here, he's a liar. 
How can you say here, for who he who uh, uh, for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God who he has not seen? How can you say you love God and not love your brother? If you've seen your brother, you haven't even seen God face to face yet, and you say you love God, but you can't love the person right next to you, that's not, that's not true. And the Bible tells us, how can you say that you love God if you don't love now your brother? Think about those people that maybe you struggle with loving them. There was a group of missionaries that were going out to Asia and they were thinking about what they were going to do, what route to take, what, what, what exactly what the mission was going to be. And there was one group thinking one thing and another group thinking, you know what, that, that's too costly. It's going to require too much and we don't want to go on the mission field and do that. Like, it's too risky. And then all of a sudden, as they're debating and trying to figure this out and trying to sort it all out, a young gal, you know, rose up. He said, man and women, may I remind you something? How do you spell love? And everybody looked at her insulted. Maybe they looked at her embarrassed. And one man said, well, of course, you spell love, L-O-V-E. He said, no, gentlemen, that's not how you spell love. You spell love, S-A-C-R-I-F-I-C-E. Some of you guys are wondering, what did I spell? (laughs) Sacrifice. How do you spell love? Sacrifice. That is true love. And we cannot be missing the quality of love because if you don't have love, then we do not have nothing. And, and, and guess what this? If, if you have love and, 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 and if you lack everything else, maybe you don't have a lot of gifts, but you have love, at least you have what matters most. <laughs> Sometimes we're, we're concerned about, well, I don't have those gifts, I don't have that gift, I don't have a visible gift. But if you have love, you have what matters most. Because love is what brings heaven down to people so they can experience the love of God. Love lifts up the fallen. Love comforts those that are sorrowing. Love even challenges the corrupt moral standards that we live in. That's what we ought to know, that there is a big need of love. That is why love is needed. Because without love, no one's needs are met. I want you to know that without love, no one's needs are met. You can be doing a lot of things for the Lord, but if it's not done in love, the needs of people are not going to be met. Now we learn the character of love in verse 4. We're going to get into verse 4 briefly. As you learn the character of love, so now we know why love is needed. Because love is what ministers to people. Love is really what is effective, what is beneficial, what profits now in the church, in the body of Christ, in other people's life. It is love. You want to make a benefit, you want to really make a, a true impact in the life of somebody, maybe even your own children, then love them. Show them the love of God. But now we know the character of love. I want you to know this. There, the love is filled with character. So here from verses 4 to verse 8, he's going to redefine love. And he's going to tell us one thing. Love is a verb. Love is an action. Love is not a noun. I want you to remember that love is a verb. It's, it's unconditional. It's sacrificial. It's selfless. It doesn't think about itself. It's a verb. It's an action word. It's, it's meant to be lived out. It's an action word. Now it says here, love suffers Long. This is where we, we start to have a problem when it comes to love. <laughs> this is when we have a problem when it comes to suffering long. 
You see, here in verse 4, it's going to tell us that love suffers long. What does it mean when love suffers long? Love is here, patient. Man, that's a word that we do not like. Love is patient. It's been said that the length of our patience determines the depth of our love. Oh, you know, that sounds so convicting. But the length of your patience that you have patience for people or for that person or the patience that you have for even your spouse or your family member or that loved one, the length of that patience will also determine the depth of your love. Because when you love them, guess what love is? Love number one is patient. If you can't be patient with people, do you really love them? Because when you love them, guess what? Love will be patient and it suffers. It's patient. How? Not short. It's not just patient for a little while. Not only does it, is it patient when it's convenient. Not only is it patient when it's quick, right? But it suffers long. It's willing to suffer long. Not only is it patient when it suffers long, but also it's patient when it's wrong. Think about when you're wronged. When somebody has wronged you, someone has hurt you, and you still want to love them, you want to suffer along, you want to be uh, patient with them. What does it tell us here in God's Word? Love is patient, but love is also silent. See, sometimes we want to all, all, immediately, when we can be resentful, be resentful. When we can be angry, we can be angry. We want to respond in anger. We want to go ahead and do it right away. But that's not what love is. Love is patient. That means love can be silent. That means that love cannot grow resentment it cannot harbor bitterness to people love will suffer long with them will say you know what well i know that person keeps offending me. i know that person that keeps hurting me i know that person uh you know has betrayed me or turned their back on me but i choose to love them because my love is not motivated by emotions it is a choice love suffers long even when it's wrong it's patient even when it's wrong. Look what it tells us here. Not only is love patient when it's wrong, after it has been wronged, and even when it's patient, above being patient, what is love? Love is kind. Love responds with grace. You see, you, say, you can't say that you are, are a loving person, but you're not patient. And on top of not being patient, you're, you're not kind. <laughs> what love does is when love is wronged, when love is taken advantage of, you know what love does? It becomes patient. And on top of being patient, it responds with kindness. That is the definition of love. Even when it is wronged, love responds with patience. And love responds with kindness. Even when it is wrong, it is full of grace. That's why he tells us in chapter 12 that we would have the same care and the same compassion for one another because love is patient and love after it's patient, even while it's patient, while it's waiting being patient, guess what it is? It's kind. Have you ever been patient with someone? But in the midst of being patient with them, I'm going to be patient, but don't talk to me. <laughs> I'm going to be patient, but I want nothing to do with you. I'm going to be patient. We're just not going to talk until you fix the issue that I told you that I wanted you to fix. No, love is patient. And while it is patient, I wanted you to understand this. While it is patient, it's responding at the same time with kindness. Well, this is incredible. I, I wish that we could work on these two things just one week. That we're going to say, you know, we're going to be patient people. And while we're being patient, we're going to be kind. You know what? 
we're most angry, when we're most now desiring and, and showing a resentful attitude is when we have to wait and we have to be patient with people, right? And we have to be patient with people, that's when they see the worst of us because we're trying so hard to be patient. But here it tells us that love, while it's patient, it's also kind. It responds with grace. It responds with mercy. Now verse 4, it tells us, what is love also? It says that love is patient, love is kind, but love also, it is not jealous. Love does not envy. You see, Jesus didn't demonstrate a character of jealousy. And here we learn that Paul is telling the church that love does not envy. Why is he telling them this? Because they needed to hear it. And I think today, more than ever, we need to hear it. That when you love someone, you're not jealous. When you are demonstrating the attitude and the character of love, you're saying, I want to be a loving disciple or brother and sister in the faith, then I am not going to envy my brother or my sister. I'm going to be, instead of envy, I'm going to be content where God has me in my place, even through inequalities. Because that's what love does. Love is perfectly content in the will of God. You would say, you know what, well, you just don't know how I've been treated and, and you know, the envy starts to rise, starts to surface, but love does not demonstrate a spirit of jealousy. You know what love demonstrates? A spirit of contentment, saying, Lord, I am perfectly content, Lord, where you have me, and I am perfectly content in your will because I want to live a life that is full of love. Sometimes we become jealous of other people's opportunities or gifts, maybe at work. Someone that received that opportunity that you maybe have wanted. Maybe uh, the abilities or the applause of other people or the compliments that other people get. And you would say, well, how come I don't get the same attention or the compliments? Or how come I don't surface the opportunity? How come I'm not being raised up that same certain way? Look what it tells us. Love does not envy. Because it demonstrates a contentment in the will of God. But what does love also do in verse 4? It does not parade itself. That, that's amazing here. It doesn't blow a trumpet every time it loves. Every time you love someone, you have to let them know, right, that you, what you did for them. Parading itself and saying, look at me, I'm going to exalt, I'm going to parade, I'm going to promote love. And look how much I love you. Look how much I love you. Do you love me this much, right? How, why is it that every time that, that, you know, we have to do things for one another, I do this much, and you don't do that much, right? Well, see, that's not real love because it's parading itself, it's boasting. That, that, that type of love is, is showing off. And in fact, it, love here, and I want you to remember this in verse 4, when it says love doesn't parade itself, love is anonymous sometimes. Where it means that you're doing it specifically for the other person. And it's a not, it doesn't, it, nobody even has to know that it came from you. That's real love. It doesn't parade itself. It's not boastful. It, it, and it tells us in verse 4 here, it doesn't parade itself. And then what does it say? It does, it is not puffed up. It's not proudful. If you want to demonstrate the character of love, it's a character that's silent. That it's serving anonymously. That it's serving in humility. Again, what did Jesus do? He laid himself, his, he laid aside his garments. He laid aside his glory, right, Jesus? He humbled himself. He wasn't proud. 
He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't conceited. He loved in humility. Just think about how many people Jesus would have served if he came and said, I can't believe I had to leave heaven to come serve you guys. I can't believe I had to leave the glory, the throne, the, you know, the angels worshiping me night and day, sitting and standing at the right hand of the Father to come and die for you guys. You think that he would have been known for a loving Savior? No, absolutely not. Or you think he would have been known as a loving Savior? He came, everyone worship me. I deserve to be worshipped because I love you so much. I demand it. No, Jesus didn't come in that way either. He came so humbly. He laid aside his garments. He said, I'm not going to be proud. I'm not going to be arrogant. I'm not going to be conceited because love is not prideful. I'll tell you this. Love is humble. Love is humble. And when you're not willing to suffer long with others, you must examine the capacity of how much you love them. Because in verse 4, what does it tell us? That love suffers long. What does it mean that love is patient? And while it's patient, it also demonstrates kindness. And it doesn't demonstrate jealousy, right? It does not parade itself. It doesn't exhibit itself. It doesn't try to promote itself, right? In verse 4, and it doesn't come off prideful. I pray that today, as we come to a close, that we would understand that. That we would grasp that. And say, Lord, there is a real need of love. And I don't want to serve you. I don't want to come and serve you with all these gifts, with all these impressive gifts. But I don't have love because it's not ministering to anyone. I want to come and demonstrate the character of love because there is a need of love. And without the character of love, we, without the, realizing that the, that the character of love is now given in patience and kindness and, and it, it's done in humility... Is it in contentment in the will of God? How will we ever minister to people? I think it's amazing the people that can serve behind the scenes that don't care about the recognition as long as they're meeting the needs of people. Today, do you care about the recognition of, of, of displaying how much you love someone? About the applause of men? Or is it motivated by genuine love for people? What is it that motivates why you do what you do? Because it's not really necessarily what you're doing. It's also how you're doing it and the motive on why you're doing it. It must be motivated by love. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. We ask, God, that you would just show us, Lord, expose the areas of our hearts. Maybe, Lord... We have built walls in our hearts, Lord. They don't allow us to love the way you love us. 